Wintrust Business Lunch, John Beaver, financial advisor at Phase 3 Advisory Services, is here. Welcome back, John. I hope you're doing well. I am doing very well. Thanks for having me on here today. Yeah, markets are doing well, too. We're at or near our all-time highs on almost all three of the indices, right? Yes, we are. We're within spitting distance, 2%. And uh, John and uh, Steve and his report kind of summarized things. It's about the interest rates and which way they're going. So Jerome Powell today, as he stated, ignited a little bit more of a rally, getting us so close to the previous high printed on December 31st, 2021, two years ago almost now. But then your namesake, John Williams, the Fed John Williams, uh, threw a little cold water on that, uh, saying, hey, uh, don't get uh, too excited about dropping interest rates because we're not going to be lowering them anytime soon. Yeah, but but John Williams is not the decider. He's just one of the governors, right? That's correct. But he does give a a sense of the tone of what's there. And Actually, uh, Jerome Powell on Wednesday struck a surprisingly dovish tone and surprised just about everybody because we were expecting him to be a little bit more hawkish, a little bit more standoffish on any rate drop anytime soon. And he even tried to clarify in there that, you know, it's not something that they're really talking about. It came up as a point, but it's not something they're talking about just yet. But the the market seemed to interpret it as saying, hey, they're looking at rate cuts real soon here. And the market thinks it's going to happen as soon as March. A rate cut. Yes, which I think is uh, way too optimistic. And that's what's being debated right now in market prices. But right now, the interest rate market, interest rates have fallen dramatically in the last uh, two months. A pretty strong move down one full percent on the 10-year Treasury bond. And there's some, uh, there's some good things that will come about as a result of that if these rates stay at the level that they're at right now. For instance? Lower mortgage rates. That's the big one. Mortgage rates are still a little bit on the high side from where we would expect them to be, so we might be seeing as much as a full point drop in in mortgage rates over the next couple of months. That will help the housing market, which is kind of stalled because a lot of people are sitting around waiting for the rates to drop. That's a good thing. It helps with the stock market valuation because as interest rates drop, investors are actually willing to pay more for stocks because if they're going to get less return in uh, in their bonds, then they demand less return in the stocks, which means they're willing to pay more for stocks. Right. But that may all come to a halt when the Fed doesn't drop rates in March as anticipated right now. Now, again, that's speculation on my part, but based on everything that they said, I just don't see the Fed dropping rates in right. March. So we may be in a but, little bit of a period here of good market. Sure, unless that runs into people's unwillingness to spend because of the uh, because of inflation or the perception that inflation, that prices are still too high. Now, what's your thought about that? So I think that per- <clears throat> that perception is not locked in anymore. Uh, we don't have the situation that we had in the 70s where everybody was expecting the inflation to run really hot, and that affected their purchases. What we're actually seeing right now is that consumers are still strong. It's been a good uh, holiday season, not a great holiday season, but a good holiday season. And so right now, sales are good. People are still spending. What to watch, though, what to watch is actually the consumer debt. Where are we at on consumer credit? Because that's going to give an indicator of where the consumer is. So if we see weakening there, we are seeing some signs of that. What we're seeing is higher default rates. Now, this is from the lower quality borrowers. Uh, We're seeing uh, increasing subprime auto loan default rates. 
So we're seeing some of the early cracks in that, but it's not enough to be worried about. And of course, we've talked about the student loans kicking back in here in the last couple of months. That's going to continue to take a bite out of spending over the next several months. John Bieber, financial advisor at Phase 3 Advisory Services on a line, talking to us about some of the uh, economic trends that we're enjoying right now. Boy, look at all of that. Thank you very much, Fed. But if the markets are responding to what the Fed has been doing or intimating, John, what can you tell me about just the underlying value of these companies? Yeah, so the underlying value is stretched. There's no question. The market is ahead of itself right now, what we say over its skis. And that's because right now the market, this rally, has responded to the perception of the Fed dropping rates. But we still have this pesky thing called inflation. And the Fed's been effective in getting us down to the 3% range. But they've said they're not going to lower rates until we see 2% for an extended period of time, hinting at about a six-month period. So the market is definitely ahead of itself. When rates drop, as I said, people are willing to pay more for their stocks. But then it's up to earnings to kick in and earnings to justify those higher valuations. And that's where we can have the market running ahead of itself and then pausing for a while. And right now, I think the market has run ahead of itself. So we've got to watch out for that. But the Fed has said we're going to get this inflation rate down to two, which means we're looking at the long term at a lower interest rate scenario. Which brings me to the point that investors, any money that they need in the next five years, this is a great place to take the money out of the market and lock in a two, three, four, five-year CD or treasury bond that is risk-free. Really good time to do that. That was the answer to my next question. So you don't think this is a good time to buy right now? Like if I'm doing some sort of dollar cost averaging, I, I may be on the wrong side of that for a few years, huh? Yeah, so this is back to lump sum buying right now, probably not the best. Dollar cost averaging seems to always work out in the long haul. Let's talk about the last two years where the market has really gone nowhere. It's dropped and come back. So someone that had all their money uh, invested in the market two years ago have seen basically zero return. We're almost back to where the market was two years ago. However, our dollar cost averaging investors putting money in a systematic amount, equal amount every month, over the last two years, have seen anywhere between 10 to 20% return on that money that was dollar cost averaged in. The money that was already in the market, zero return, but the money that was systematically invested over the last two years, 10 to 20%, depending on what day of the month it went in and things like that. So dollar cost averaging is always a good idea as long as we have a volatile market, and I think that's a given that we're going to have a volatile market. You mentioned a minute ago that mortgage rates are down, not where we want them to be, but they're less than they were. Can you talk about home building? Uh, Can you talk about residential rents as well? Yeah, so residential rents have been uh, getting soft again, which is nice. And that's a good thing for inflation because it is a big portion of inflation. And there's a kind of a lagging effect of how housing affects, uh, affects the inflation rate. So not only is it good for renters that are getting perhaps a little bit of relief as they renew, maybe the increases won't be as so shocking, uh, but it is also, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the long run, a good thing for home buyers to get that activity up. Now, as the rates come down, the activity is going to pick up, and that may be supportive in home prices on the sales prices, on the purchase prices. And so there might not be much relief in payments because as the rate comes down, the prices go up and it all equals out, evens out. All right. So if a lot more people are now in the market, 
whatever the housing stock is, that's going to keep prices high. We're not going to see a drop in home prices, even if the mortgage rates go down. I don't think so, because there's still, uh, we're way underbuilt. You know, the number is somewhere between 2 million and 5 million units that were underbuilt at this point in time. So it's going to take a while to uh, stop the, to, to get the, the building that we need in order to get the people in the homes that they need to be in. That feels a little anecdotal, though. Uh, not that I doubt it, but we keep saying that nobody's going to sell their house with a 3% mortgage when they got to go live somewhere else and they don't want to pay 7%. Um, do you really think that's it? And do you really think that if we do get to 5% that the floodgates are going to open up? It may not be the floodgates, but we will see some movement. There's always the people that have to move for whatever reason. Job movement, retirement, they say, that's it. We're just going to go ahead and move. We're not going to take out a mortgage anyway, so we don't care. But at the same time, there's quite a few people that don't have to move that are thinking about moving, even those in retirement that might still have a mortgage. We have several clients that still have some mortgage balances in early retirement. And what they've said is, you know what, we're going to sit tight for where we're at right now because uh, I've got a two and three quarters percent mortgage. Uh, Why would I want to give that up? So there is going to be uh, not a floodgate that's going to open. Maybe it's going to be more like a trickle, but a trickle is better than what we're seeing right now. If the markets improve this year, 2024, what do you think is going to drive that? Is it the small caps? Is it international? Or will it be a handful of tech companies that continue to hold the market up? Well, I tell you, I really like the values in international, but I think it's still a couple years off before we see that rally. So what I like right now is small and mid-cap for several reasons. Number one, lower rates help smaller businesses because it lowers the cost of borrowing. The big, large, make-a-cap companies, it doesn't matter much to them, but it really affects those small and mid-sized businesses that are borrowing at prime rate. Second reason is, is that we've had a narrow rally in the market this year, mainly the you know Magnificent Seven that we all talk about, but the broad market has really lagged, and it needs to play catch-up, and that will be good for the small and mid-sized companies. Um, however... We do think it's going to be kind of volatile because it is a presidential year, election year, and the market tends to do pretty poorly the first six to nine months, just kind of bouncing around until the results of the election look pretty certain because the market likes certainty. It doesn't like uncertainty, and boy, a lot of uncertainty surrounding this current election. Mm. But apart from that, I think it is going to be a little rough here at the front end. We also have the, the thing we haven't talked about today. The $8 trillion of refinancing that has to take place in the next year, that's the government. The government has to refinance about $8 trillion of government bonds in the next 12 months. What rate are they going to dem- are they going to pay because of the demand there? That might be the thing that kind of messes up the whole interest rate market. Uh, we'll have to see if the world can absorb that $8 trillion. Now, some of it's just rolling, so that might not be as big of a deal. But this is the first time we've seen anything of this magnitude in history in the United States. John Beaver, Phase 3 uh, Advisory Services. He's a financial advisor there. You can click on Phase 3 Advisory. That's the number three, phase3advisory.com. Okay, John, really interesting today. Thanks for your thoughts. You're welcome. But right now, let's talk to Desiree Vargas Wrigley, the executive director of TechRise. They had an event recently. We've got some names and numbers to announce. Desiree, welcome to WGN Radio. How are you? I am great. Thanks so much for having me. I know a little bit about TechRise, but tell us who you all are and who you try to serve. Yeah, absolutely. 
Rise is an initiative started in partnership between Verizon and P33, which is our parent organization that's focused on making Chicago more of an innovation hub and really focused on doing that inclusively. So TechRise is an initiative that supports overlooked early stage entrepreneurs who are at that kind of idea stage or friends and family stage. And we do weekly pitch competitions that provide about $25,000 in non-dilutive grant funding to help them bring their ideas to life. What does non-diluted grant funding mean? That means that we don't take any part of your business. So unlike a normal investor where they give money, but they want a piece of your business, we put $25,000 into your business and say, we wish you so much luck and we're here to support you, but you don't owe us anything back. No kidding. You're not even charging them interest. They don't have to pay you back. No, it's not a loan. It's fully a grant and any entrepreneur in the greater Chicagoland area is eligible to apply. Um, And we run competitions throughout the year. But the competition that just happened was our grand finale. That was a $100,000 prize. And that was kind of the best of the year of 2023. Yeah, I want to talk about that. But before we do, don't you also, though, try and target the people that would not otherwise get angel investors or maybe the best rates if they went the traditional route? Are you targeting minorities or women or people with ideas that might not be mainstream? Well, we love ambitious ideas and and ambitious entrepreneurs, and our hope is that TechRise is a launch pad to help them access additional pools of capital. So, you know, it should be maybe the first step before you would go to a bank or even other angel investors is coming to TechRise to be able to get some of that formation dollars that you need to set up your website or launch a new product or maybe take your existing business onto the Internet. Suppose there's some people in that space who put it on their credit card and end up paying 20% on that money. Uh, I presume you would say that's not the best route to go if you can avoid it. I can tell you it's actually how I built my first business, a crowdfunding platform that is now part of GoFundMe. So if that's your only option, that can work. But I would say free money is a a much better way to go. Uh, What was your crowdfunding platform? It was called Give Forward. It was one of the first ones ever, actually, and we built it here in Chicago. And it's from that experience as a Latina woman founder myself in Chicago that I realized how hard it is to get a business off the ground, especially if you're building in an industry or solving a problem that may not be familiar to kind of older, wealthy, traditional investors. And so that's why we built TechRise. Uh, Some of those crowdfunding platforms, at least when I first started paying attention to them, would say, "Okay, let's all give money to this cause and you'll get swag or you'll get T-shirts if we ever make it or something like that. It wasn't in exchange for a percent of the company, though, right? Yes, you're thinking of things like um, Indiegogo or Kickstarter that still exist and are very helpful for entrepreneurs who have products that they want to bring to life and want to kind of pre-sell for them. But now there are so many different ways to crowdfund for small businesses, including tools like WeFunder and Republic, where there is an equity component to that. And we absolutely um, support our founders in their journeys to the best sources of capital for what their vision is. Sometimes angel investing and, and venture capital is the right the right path if you have a very, very large market opportunity. But sometimes it's better to actually kind of bring together friends and family dollars. And those equity crowdfunding platforms can be really effective for that. 
do you advise people on the viability of their ideas? I mean, you know, they can get in the competition and try and win the money, but I wonder if you additionally say, not only are you not going to win the money, <laughs> you ain't going to make it. Um, what are you, how, how involved do you get or how much advice do you give? Yeah, that's a great question. So before anyone takes the, the virtual stage, we match them with um, an existing entrepreneur in our ecosystem to kind of advise them on their pitch and also help them think through the mechanics of the business. So there is some coaching that happens in advance. We also give them a framework for how to best pitch their business to investors or a bank or a panel of judges. And then after the competition, whether they win or not, they join in our online community and they get access to a variety of national and local resources, including our partners over at M-Hub and 1871 and some of the other educational programs that exist in China Enterprises, others like that. And then we also send them other grant opportunities. So, you know, being in the TechRise community isn't just about the competitions, it's truly kind of wraparound services, workshops. And then for aspiring entrepreneurs, we do have a one-day workshop that we do in partnership with a group called Day Camp, where you really can kind of assess mm-hmm. the viability of your business. Who's funding you? Who's providing the money for these companies? Yes, so our funding comes from a variety of sources, including a federal grant from the Minority Business Development Association called the Capital Readiness Grant, which covers a lot of our operating expenses. Hmm. Unfortunately, though, the prize money um, we have to raise every year. And so historically, Verizon's been one of our great sponsors and then other corporate partners, including um, Discover and PNC, Mo Harris, Bank of America, um, and then some private family foundations who care about economic development and supporting our neighborhoods. So, so next year as we expand. Rise. Got, it, got oh, it. Got it. If I may, you had Tech Rise, um, season three, the finale. Who was the $100,000 winner? It was a company called Baby Gammy, and it is a collapsible water bottle that can be attached to like a little carabiner. So it's great for hiking, great for travel, and they're already in a very cool accelerator that will put them in um, some sporting goods shops that we all know uh, very soon and hopefully some other big bucks. So I think I've seen images of this, but it's, is it just as it sounds like I can imagine a traditional maybe 8-ounce or 10-ounce, however big they are, baby bottle. But if I could collapse it down, it would take up less space. I would only use as much space as I wanted, right? Exactly. It's a silicone bottle that collapses down, kind of like those old-fashioned collapsible cups that we had in the <laughs> 80s yeah. that you could uh-huh. take around, although more sophisticated and definitely um, more kind of... Um, uh, sanitary than some of the uh, the previous models that we probably all know, and, and better plastics or you know um, better use of materials. Yeah, but if right. I could, I also wanted to just sh- share a really quick update. So the the celebration was for this year, but we also celebrated just these incredible follow on funding numbers that we have from the overall community since April of 2021. These the 300 entrepreneurs that have been on TechRights have raised about 93 million dollars in follow on funding. And that is about 10x what our community raised at all in 2019. So it's just an incredible feat for these founders, and I hope to continue to support them for many years to come. Yeah, we got to wrap this up now. But to be clear, what you just said, so these companies that have gone through, you have gone on to raise additional dollars to the tune of $90 million, which is an expression of the, the viability of what they're up to then, right? 
Yes, absolutely. And the industries that they are serving really range from healthcare to manufacturing to consumer products. So they kind of, um, you know, represent all the industries that are really important and vital to our economic prosperity as a region. Yeah, that's so fascinating. It's called TechRise, techrise.co, techrise.co. And Desiree Vargas Wrigley is the executive director. Well done, Desiree. Nice to talk to you. Thanks for doing what you're doing. Thank you for having me and hope we have more to celebrate in the future. This is the Wintrust Business Lunch on WGN. Here's more business news with Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. O'Hare Airport could return to pre-pandemic traffic levels in 2024. That's according to Chicago's Aviation Commissioner, Jamie Ree, who made the comments during an appearance at the City Club of Chicago. In September, O'Hare's passenger level was 8% below the same month in 2019. It was down about 13% through nine months of the year. Ree says a return to pre-pandemic volume will come as corporate travel picks up steam and service to international markets expands. Northwestern Medicine has posted a nearly $1 billion surplus for the fiscal year. Crane, citing financial records, says Northwestern has recovered from poor financial performance in 2022. A large increase in investment income boosted the bottom line. The health system saw strong growth in patient volumes, which also contributed to the boost in revenue. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. Okay, business of food time. Here's Steve Alexander. <laughs> Thank you. It's a Mr. Fizz Friday. And instead of Mr. Fizz, we have, well, let's see who's on the line. This is Santa Fizz on the line and ready, willing, and able to discuss holiday flowering plants and how you take care of them. Okay, Santa Fizz. We'll hear from him after we thank the Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com for sponsoring us today. There's no better time to put a Silverado in your toolbox. Okay, Santa Fizz, take it away. Yeah, it's it's a fun time. I know you talked to my elf, Jennifer Brennan, last week, and she mentioned amaryllis. But you know, the Christmas holiday plant is the poinsettia, a magnificent plant. And if you take good care of them, they last very nicely. They'll keep the, the bracts on them and usually many of the leaves on them for, for months, actually. The secret to keeping them going is to not water them too much, but not let them wilt and keep them in a place where they're not in drafts and not in full sun. If you put them in a hot, sunny place, they're going to dry up very quickly. Uh, and actually, you can rebloom these if you want to. They take short days, just like chrysanthemums. Now, we'll talk about that another time. But those are very interesting plants. The second thing I want to talk about are azaleas. These are actually woody bushes, uh, but they flower this time of year normally. Uh, you can buy them in any of the flower shops. They're beautiful. They keep their flowers a long time. When you buy them, buy some that have buds that are not yet open, and they will last very nicely. Keep them moist. Don't overwater them. And they can be rebloomed, too. If you take them outdoors and grow them through the summer and bring them in before they freeze, they'll flower very nicely for you year after year. Last thing I want to mention are orchids. You know, they're not as difficult to grow as people think, and they're not as fragile as people think. Uh, keep them in a bright but not full sun place uh, indoors and put them outdoors in the garden in the shade uh, throughout the summer. Bring them in in the fall, and they'll flower again for you. So these are wonderful plants. They're wonderful for gifts. They're wonderful for decorations at this time of year. They make the house cheery. There are a lot of people around that will share your love of plants, and it might even inspire them to have a few of them on their own. And by the way, Steve, I just want to wish you and yours a, a very happy Christmas and a wonderful new year coming up. Yeah, thank you, Jim, and the same to you and Jane as well. From the farm to your belly, today's National Cupcake Day. And to go along with that, it's International Tea Day. I'm Steve Alexander. That's the business of food on 720 WGN. Joe Zaslow, the co-owner of the Chicago Slice Pickleball Team. 
There is a major league pickleball league, and the Chicago Slice is in it. Hey, Joe, how have you been? Yes. Good. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me on. And, and there is a major league pickleball league, and we are excited to say that the Chicago Slice just won our second consecutive Super Final Championship in the Premier League of Major League Pickleball. So some people are asking if there's a little bit of a dynasty brewing here in Chicago. <laughs> well, um, so you said the Premier League. Is it sort of like soccer in Europe? Are there two different le- levels, if you will? That's exactly what it's like. They have two leagues, the Premier League and the Challenger League, and there is a promotion relegation system based on how teams finish to determine which league your franchise is in. So the owners of the team, is this the Ricketts, Klum, Everett, Zaslow uh, combination of names I'm seeing here? Yes, that is correct. We have a great uh, ownership team of the Chicago Slice that include those names you mentioned there. And to be clear, Tom Ricketts, Heidi Klum, what is she doing owning a pickleball team? Uh, Chris you know Everett, what? Uh, she Austin. likes pickleball. She plays pickleball. And uh, and then a lot of people looks like with the same last name as you. So it looks like your family is invested in this as well. Um, how has it been going as a business? Uh, it's been going good. You know, as a, a franchise, we own part of Major League Pickleball, the league itself. And so that's really what we try to build with our franchise, the Chicago Slice. However, the excitement here in the local market in Chicago has been uh, growing a lot, too, which is exciting. And you start to see some people wearing some Chicago Slice merch walking around the streets of Chicago. So it has been going well. I don't have the logo in front of me, but as I recall, does it sort of parrot a slice of pizza? It is a slice of pizza taking an angry swing at a pickleball. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then... How do you succeed as a business? Do you need people to attend the games? Is that where the money's going to come in? Or is there maybe some online or television revenue? How how do you guys profit? Yeah, so we're going to profit when we get more eyeballs watching, both streaming as well as just on linear TV. So our goal is to try to get this sport to be something that you, you know, flip on your TV and go watch and Hopefully sponsors and advertisers will continue to uh, invest in the league. And so, you know, our most recent super final match is on ESPN2. There's now a pickleball channel. And so that's really our goal is to continue to grow the viewership audience. Yeah. I must say that when uh, this idea first came up, I thought, I'm not going to watch pickleball on TV. I'm not going to watch pickleball highlights. But then in my online stream every now and then, you know, whatever I'm looking at, all of a sudden – uh, videos of really rapid-fire pickle volleys are are populating my stream, and they're pretty cool. Some of those yeah. some of those um, points are epic. They they are very fun to watch. Yeah, I'll tell you, it gets really exciting, especially at that top level, because all these players are so good and they have such quick hands and such great athleticism that they create some really exciting points, and so. You know, we're hopeful as they continue to get better, the points will continue to get better. And as more people play the sport, they'll begin to, you know, have that appreciation for how hard what they're doing is. And hopefully that should help in the interest in watching the sport. Are there names that, um, they're not household names yet, but give me the names of some of the players, Joe. Who are we talking about? Yeah, well, so each team has four players. And our team this year was led by, I would say, the closest thing you have to a household name uh, his name is Ben Johns, and he is the 
you know, number one player in the world and has been for some time. And so, you know, I, I think if anyone could name a pickleball player in the world, it's either him or his female counterpart, Anna Lee Waters. So um, those are kind of the two to watch out for right now in pickleball. And are they um, by trade tennis players, table tennis players? Uh, are they Chicagoans? Tell me about them. That's a great question. You know, there are a lot of former, you know, racket sport players, paddle sport players who are in the sport. However, these two, for the most part, have grown up being pickleball players. And so that's what's really exciting about the sport right now is it's kind of changing over from former tennis players who either, you know, didn't make it all the way in tennis or maybe had some injuries to now it's these athletes who are growing up playing pickleball and, you know, picking up a paddle when they're young. And, and, you know, their goal is to become a professional pickleball player. And so both of those fall more into that camp. Joe, uh, we got to go. What do you want our listeners to do or what do you want them to know? Um, I want them to tune in to next season of Major League Pickleball and cheer on your Chicago slice because I know that not all the sports in Chicago are amazing right now, but we're really exciting and, and you guys should tune in next season and, and check us out. Will the games be in the north suburbs? Where will they play? Uh, we're going to try to bring an event to Chicago next season. So currently all the events have been remote as, as all the teams meet up in a, a neutral site location. But um, we are planning on bringing the Chicago site to Chicago. So stay tuned for more information. Follow us on social media and you'll get all the updates. ChicagoSlice.com. Joe Saslow is the co-owner. Uh, congratulations, Joe. It's been fun to talk to you and follow this over the last year or two. Uh, let's uh, continue to visit in 2024. Yes, thanks for having me on, John. Appreciate it.